0: Welcome to the Philcraft Survival Podcast with your host, Mike Glover. Hey guys, welcome back to the Craft Survival Podcast. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about warrior mindset. What is warrior mindset? How do I develop warrior mindset? And what are some techniques that I can instill in my everyday life to better develop my ability to cope, to be resilient, really to have the characteristics of a warrior. And today we'll be talking about all those things. And also I'll lay out some war stories that kind of shape my mind and the way I thought about warrior mindset. The first thing we need to do when talking about warrior mindset is really clearly define it, right? because it's a philosophical thing. One person's warrior mindset or one person's perception or definition of a warrior might be different and it might vary depending on culture or society. In America as we look at warrior mindset it's really attributed to these warrior cultures like the samurai, the Spartan. There's a whole bunch of representations of what we look at as being a warrior but in America that warrior mindset is kind of different as we look at it, right? Because we analyze heroes, valorous people who serve in the military, or maybe just people in the military period, or law enforcement, or firefighters, EMS, as having the right mindset, the warrior mindset, to have resolve, and to have will, and strength, and honor, and all these characteristics associated with what we think is a warrior. So how do you develop that? How does one just come up with the mapped ideology that they're a warrior? Number one, I think it takes years of experience to develop that you're predisposed based on how you're raised and based on the culture that you're immersed in and having certain enablers to enable you to have this mindset. But I think it's something that's learned. I don't think it's something that you're born with necessarily. A warrior mindset in my mind is somebody who is valorous, strong, has the willpower, has the discipline, But more so than all that, it's the ability to have the humility, have the compassion to not just be a savage. One thing we always talk about in Special Operations Overseas is what separates us from the savages that we go to war with, like ISIS, like the Taliban, like Al-Qaeda, is that we have the ability to have this humility and this compassion for human life. You know, whether it's preserving human life, whether it's freeing oppressed people, that's a real warrior. A warrior is somebody who strives for the greater good. When you look at these guys like Al Qaeda, ISIS, Taliban, and they believe in an ideology where, and actually their cultures, they are warriors, but they completely disrespect life and they play God. That's what separates us from the savagery and that's what makes us warriors. And so you don't graduate the special forces qualification course or ranger school or basic training and instantaneously you become a warrior. It takes combat experience, it takes real life experience with trials and tribulations to develop that mindset and that resiliency. When I look at a warrior, does it have to be a Green Beret? Does it have to be a Navy SEAL? Absolutely not. I mean, there's single mothers, there's people who've been afflicted with cancer, there's regular normal human beings who have had to go through specific trials and tribulations that have changed their entire life that makes them warriors in their own way. Now in the context that we're going to be talking about warriors, we're talking about warrior mindset in the context of being a special operations soldier. That's my experience. So I'll be talking from that perspective, but again, you could apply all these things that I'm talking about to your everyday life. It doesn't have to be the battlefield or combat. You could be working a nine to five and facing the same type of trials and tribulations in different forms. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and I'm looking forward to continue podcast talking about this subject. So no shit there I was, 2006, Iraq. We were flying in and uh, the plan was we were gonna land on the X. And when we land on the X, we land sometimes a couple feet from the front door usually in the front yard, the backyard, an adjoining yard and then we basically get off the helicopter and assault. Sometimes we call it a jackass assault, but basically you get off the helicopter as fast as possible when you head straight to the front door to do the breach. But I remember distinctly this moment because all the things I'd thought inside my head stuck with me. And I remember I had a a good friend who I was in the commanders and extremist force with named Chris. and. Chris was in front of me, and before we landed, he was hanging outside the bird on in a Pavlo in the a, a 53 platform. You have a ramp that goes down, kind of similar to a CH-47 or MH-47, where the ramp lowers. There's no doors on the side where you get out, but you everybody offloads on the ramp. And as we were coming in, you know, we get the one-minute call. He's looking down under night vision, and he's lazing the front door with his infrared laser so everybody understands where it's at. And I'm right behind him hanging off the side of the aircraft. And I noticed that he's not tethered in. I noticed that he doesn't have anything hooked up. He had unhooked prior to going, attempting to land because he wanted to be the first off the bird to be able to run to the front door. And I remember looking at his actions in night vision, you know, I'm looking through Coke straws and in, in infrared and green. And so my, you know, my field of vision is limited, but I'm, I'm watching his actions because I wanna make sure that you know, as he was leading this assault that I was doing the right thing. And I noticed when we landed, he never looked back. He looked back once or twice, but he never really looked back deliberately to see if anybody was following him. He just knew that there was gonna be guys behind him and I was his number two man. And so we landed and he jumped off the helicopter, like feet off the ground it seemed, and started running towards the objective. And there was no hesitation, not for an instance. There was no fear. There was no second guessing his actions, his own actions. And so that gave me confidence as the number two guy to emulate what I was seeing and to provide that good number two guy, no matter where he was going. Besides the fact that Chris is a tall dude and you know, for every step he took, I had to take a step and a half. It made me understand and realize that when you're a leader, especially a combat leader, you don't watch other people's actions to try to emulate what they're doing. You just do. You know, that whole be no do back in the day with army leadership, be the leader, know the job, and just execute, just do. He was just doing. And so one of the lessons learned was to have a mindset a warrior mindset, you have to be able to apply the do and maybe that's the culmination phase, right? Maybe that's the end of understanding, like the full circle of becoming a warrior. He didn't expect that he had to emulate anybody else. He didn't expect that he was never going to be covered. He just did his job and he knew that somebody behind him, that me, I was going to get his back. And I trusted because he was in front of me pulling security that he knew what he was doing, he knew where he was going, and I just followed in his footsteps. And to me, you know, without saying a whole bunch, without overanalyzing the actual situation, he was being a leader, he was being a good combat leader. When you're looking at becoming or developing this warrior mindset, you have to realize that the culmination of experience and this confidence, this just doing takes time. That's the end state. Subsequently after 06, when I became a master sergeant at special forces and became a team sergeant, it's the same approach that took with my guys. I didn't have to say much because I just did my job and executed when I had to, and they knew they were gonna follow in my footsteps. And that's not an egotistical thing. And I, I never looked at it like that with Chris. I just looked at it as an air of confidence that he knew his job and he trusted the subordinates and the people around him. So now the question becomes, how do I build that resiliency? How do I get to the point in my life or my career where I'm the warrior, where I'm the leader, the combat leader? Well, like I said, it takes a lot of years of experience to lead up to that moment. So let me talk about some of the breadcrumbs, some of the little tidbits of information that might help you along the way that I've developed in my career and i've seen and witnessed from other men who became warriors in my career field in special operations if you guys have watched the show called the selection on the history channel if you haven't seen i encourage you to watch it but it's a good assessment of what it takes to be in special operations and really how easy it is to break somebody down physically which breaks down their mind state and they quit You know, this show starts out with 30 civilians, and they put them through rangers, special operations, whether it's special forces or Navy SEALs, special operations type selection processes, and they really weed people out because they break down. And that's one of the first tidbits of information I want to give you guys, is one, every time you do something significant in your life physically, whether it's climbing Pike's Peak, it could be an epic hike, it could be a marathon, it could be a triathlon, it could be a workout of the day. Whatever it is, as long as it's a gut check that is intended for you to gut through something, then it's building your mind state. It's building that warrior mind state. It's a micro process in which you have to dig deep and you have to get through the gut check, but it's building this resolve, this resilience in you that's built making you harder. So the great experience about the psychology of this show is that all the people who are still in it, if you watch their interviews, they have something to prove. And, you know, that might be something that they dealt with growing up. You know, it might be proven to their father or their mother, their parents, proven to their friends and family, proven to themselves. They all have something similar in the fact that they want to prove something. And so that's the first tidbit is, one, always put yourself in situations to check your resolve. Always give yourself the opportunity to suffer. And that process is going to allow you to see analytically as it's happening in real time, how you deal with suffering. Are you able to gut through it? Are you, are you going to quit? One thing about quitting on yourself, let's say you're running, let's say you're doing a trail run and it's getting difficult and the terrain's difficult. And you say, man, I'm tired and fatigued. And then your mind starts playing these games, right? Cause your mind says, Hey man, just, just relax. Like you, I mean, you worked hard yesterday in the gym just take take a break or hey man you know you don't want to tweak anything else out let's let's just calm down some of those mechanisms are built in your psychology to save you right to get you through you know long duration type events but some of those things that are built into you those mechanisms of weakness are by design to get you to quit because they're like oh why are you doing this to yourself well when you're suffering in special operations training when you're suffering in real world difficult situations and it's easy as you convincing yourself to quit, then that becomes your routine. And I remember in special operations and and special forces training and the qualification course specifically, where guys would quit in assessment. I remember specifically guys quitting and we would joke around. The guys who were in the mix of having this resolve would joke around that they would never quit. Or they say, hey, yeah, I'm going to quit. I I think let's quit tomorrow. Hey, you guys with me? We're going to quit tomorrow. And they would make the joke, but they would never actually do it. And once you quit the first time, every single subsequent time, it gets easier and easier and easier. I'll tell you that, you know, dealing with a transition coming from social operations or the military period for an extended period of time of my life, which is really my entire adult life, and then transitioning into civilian life has been difficult. And whether it's relationships, whether it's personal life decision-making, I've wanted to quit. I wanted to go back to deployments and go overseas because it's the easy way out, but I have to keep fighting. And when you fight, you fight for something you believe in. Well, if you put yourself in a situation to volunteer for something like airborne, ranger, special operations training, or really it could be anything, committing to a job, committing to your family and friends, you have to see it through. Because you made the initial commitment. So using those little specific physical events in your life, they're like mini micro tests of your resolve. If you can get through that, if you could build that hardness inside yourself, it's going to make you a better, well-rounded, and closer to having a warrior mindset. All right, so now let's talk about willpower. What is willpower? Willpower, like not quitting, is a constant... Aura about you, right? In survival type situations, when somebody doesn't have the will to live, they can have all the skill sets in the world. But if they lose the willpower, then their skill sets, their hard skills are irrelevant. And that goes in every single aspect of survival, of being a warrior. If you're fighting in a fight and you lose that resolve and get beat down, and you don't have the will to pick yourself up and keep fighting, then you're going to lose and you're destined to lose. But as long as you have the mindset that I'm going to always fight and never quit, then that willpower, that aura about yourself will drive you through a lot of obstacles. So how do you develop that? It's different than not just quitting. Not quitting is an action. It's an executable of having the willpower. But how do you develop the willpower that is really the bubble in which you should design your warrior mind state to live in to where you never have to get to the point where you're even asking or second guessing yourself if you want to quit because it's getting difficult. I think about a specific situation when I was an 18 Bravo, a special forces weapons sergeant in the qualification course. And I remember during the duration of the time that we were in the field, we had many graded patrols to prepare us for small unit tactics. And a patrol is basically you and your element going out and conducting an operation. You do the planning you do the rehearsals and then you go out and do the operation in the wood line and it replicates a real world situation and in this situation one of the guys that was in my class was given a down pilot scenario and during this down pilot scenario he had to plan the entire operation as a platoon leader from beginning to end execute it and get everybody back home safe with the down rescued pilots Fast forward where we're getting to the wood line, and on this patrol, the specific patrol, I had already had my graded patrol the night before, so I was kind of smoked. So they put me on a blocking position with one of my Gs, or the guerrillas that we we're assigned to. And this guerrilla and myself and a driver, a designated driver, were at a roadblock, and we had provided the transportation for the unit or for the element to go conduct the Haas' rescue. So we had a plan. We had a contingency plan in case of miscommunications that we would link up at a certain spot if we didn't have radio traffic with each other. So as the operation continued and went on, I never heard from the guys. And I thought, well, hell man, th- these guys aren't doing the, the radio checks like they need to. We need to go into our contingency planning, which is going to link up at this intersection. So I made the driver who's just a driver, right? He's a role player in this situation, but I make him drive to the intersection where we're supposed to link up and we parked there and there's nobody. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, man, there might be a chance that the entire element, which is a small element got compromised. And now they're in a gunfight and they're fighting for their lives. And I don't know anything. I don't know where they're at. I don't know if they've been all killed, all been captured. So one of the contingencies we had was if they missed their second comm window, which was the link up, that I would go closer to them on the road and try to affect the link up. And so on the main road where the down pots were at in the helicopter, so I knew I was close to the objective. I know I was close to the crisis point. So I had to make a decision. As I got closer and approached the crisis point, there was a point in which I had to decide whether or not I was going to do the operation myself or... I was going to exfil and leave all the guys potentially that were out there in the woodline, unknown status, leave them behind. And so in special operations, you probably heard this, but we don't leave anybody behind, right? Instantaneously, I go into action and I start planning with my one G and the driver, the contingency operation that's going to take place. We decided that we were going to roll up on the objective and that we were going to bait in the bad guys because our truck fit in and blended in with the society that we were in. And so I was going to bait them in and then me and the gorilla, were going to jump out of the vehicle and ambush the guys and try to rescue the pilots. Because at the point in which we reached the helicopter where we thought our guys were at with no radio traffic, we didn't know if they were on the objective or if they were off the objective, but once we committed to the cause, the actual objective site, we were already compromised. So we had to make a decision. So that would be the plan. So we rolled up on the objective and it turns out that our guys weren't on the objective. So we start calling the op four in this situation, which is the bad guys. And there's two of them. We call them over and they're pulling security on the hostage, which is the down pilot. So they start walking to our driver and the driver's plan was, Hey, do you guys know where I could find this location? Because he's lost. And so he was just, he was playing it off like he was a farmer and he had to call these guys in. And they actually bought it. They came close to the vehicle and they thought he was lost. So they came up with their guards down and we jumped out of the back of the vehicle and we, we ambushed and killed both of the bad guys. So then we noticed that there wasn't anybody next to pot. So we ran across the open field as fast as we could. We picked up the pilot and we jumped back in the van and started hauling ass. As we were hauling ass, we were making, trying to make radio contact with the element again. And as we were about a hundred meters down the road, we finally made contact with them. And they said that they were walking towards the last location where we had planned to affect link up at our contingency. So we drove there, we opened the doors and we picked them all up and then we returned to base. And so everybody in the vehicle was surprised. They're like, what the hell just happened? Well, this is a training scenario, right? And believe me, when I made the decision to do this, I was scared. Was I gonna get in trouble? Was I gonna be looked down upon because I made a critical decision and jumped the gun maybe? But I decided that you know I was gonna do it and commit to doing it right off the bat because all the contingencies that we had in place failed. When you're looking at your particular situation in your life, you're gonna face these obstacles and you're gonna face all these challenges that are different from the contingency plans that you've developed. Things don't always go to plan. You know, I talk about this pace plan. I'll probably do it every episode, but primary alternate contingency and emergency plan. We always have a contingency in special operations for everything that happens. If you get down to your emergency plan, things have gone horribly wrong, but that's how life is. So what do you do? You continue to have the resiliency. You continually have the will to succeed, to achieve, to never give up, and that will make you better in the end. I think about that story and it stuck in my mind, not because I thought, oh man, I'm a badass because I saved the day, because I actually think that in training in that scenario, it faced me with the real life scenarios I faced in real combat, that when things go wrong, it doesn't mean you jump on a helicopter and RTB and return to base and you just quit. Sometimes it means making a critical decision on your own And making shit happen. I can name probably a dozen real world situations outside of myself that heroes, friends of mine, have made in combat in epic harrowing battles in Afghanistan and Iraq where they've had to make critical decisions. I think right off the bat, a young SF guy who got his leg shot in a gunfight with the Taliban on a ridgeline in Afghanistan and took his leg and pinned it to his thigh to ensure that he'd get to it later after he threw a tourniquet on and picked up his rifle and continued to fight. That's will. That's the willpower to succeed, to live, to survive, and to fight another day. All right, so now I'm going to give you some techniques on how to specifically develop that bubble of will and make it for yourself more difficult to give up or to quit. If you guys have seen that show, The Selection, or you really don't even have to have seen that show, but you know that people, when they're physically broken down, they start playing mental games with themselves and they start trying to convince themselves that they don't, they shouldn't be there. So how do we in special operations develop this resiliency not to quit, especially when times are hard? One technique we use is called going to your happy place. It's kind of comical, even just for me to even say that out loud, because Growing up in Special Operations, it was like a joke. You know, it's like, hey, dude, where are you at right now? It's like, I'm in my happy place, man. Right now I'm on a beach in the Bahamas, sipping a pina colada with my girlfriend. Well, that's an actual place that you have to develop in your mind to get away and ignore the pain. So what we typically try to do is when you're getting smoked, for example, or when you're in a physically tough, demanding situation, like running, could be running a marathon, Your body's on autopilot, your body can move and function on its own, and your mind can separate from that experience. So if you take your mind and you consciously think about things that make you happy, things that keep you positive, things that keep you in the right state of mind, then the physical things that are happening, that are developing these painful responses, you're not thinking about them. They're not as loud when you're in your happy place. I remember I used to look over at my buddies in Rainier School and we used to say to each other, Cocoa Pebbles, yeah, Cocoa Pebbles. And you'd think, why would you do that? Why would you write out a grocery list in the middle of an operations order in Rainier School? It's because you're taking your mind that's in pain, that's suffering, that's starving, that's fatigued, and you're taking your mind and you're putting it in a different place. different space in reality now growing up as an only child it's it's easy for me to say that because i have a good imagination i almost confuse my imagination with reality sometimes because i could paint a picture specifically in my mind and create an alternate reality that keeps me in my safe place while my body is getting broken down while i'm going through pain and suffering that's the key It sounds, you know, what's weird is it sounds even sketchy, even me talking about, because it sounds bipolar, right? Like you're supposed to be one way and you're supposed to take your mind and be another way. Well, remember when you're, when you're trying to build resolve and this will, you have to play mind games. You have to trick your conscious and subconscious thought to be able to get through these tough situations. And that's one technique. The other technique is to vocalize these same responses with other people who are around you. I remember being in special forces selection and the guys who all succeeded, who all had the will to never give up. We all had something in common. We all joked about the same things. We never isolated ourselves. And we always said, hey, we're going to quit tomorrow. But we never actually did. We're the ones who, when we were doing log PT and we were suffering, looked at each other and just gave each other a little confirmation of the suffering, smiled. Or when we were getting sprayed with hoses in Sears school, we just looked at each other and said, man, I'm really hot right now. It's really toasty out here, ain't it? It would be 30 degrees in North Carolina and you're getting sprayed with a garden hose. So we all had this common, almost psychotic approach to it where we liked the suffering. We call this embracing the suck. When you embrace the suck, you accept that everything that's happening is going to happen. Look, when you go to selection, when you go to ranger school, you're going to be kicked in the balls. Accept it. If I go into a situation and I know I'm going to be kicked in the balls, then it's not so bad. It's still going to suck, but it's not as bad as being surprised. Get your mind ready, condition yourself, and prepare for the worst case scenario. Don't ever expect that it's going to be glorious and easy. Always expect the worst. And then when the worst isn't that bad, you could always say to yourself, man, this doesn't suck that bad. I thought it was going to suck a lot worse. Some of the special forces selections that I've been to, I actually remember specifically saying to myself, wow, this is it. I expected a lot worse. And then when it actually really got bad and I was suffering a lot, I would say to myself, whoa. Now, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I expected. So have these expectations of this worst case scenario. And then when it actually happens, it's not going to be so bad. You have to vocalize this. You have to share this suck with other people around you and embrace it. Make it a warm, cozy, we call it a whoopee. Take that, wrap it around you and understand that, hey, embrace this. It's going to suck, but it's not going to be that bad in the end. And you're going to be a lot better for it. When you come out of it on the successful end of it, we're wrapping up part one. Part two, we're gonna talk about a lot of specific things of warrior mindset and attributes and characteristics which make people specifically warriors. A book recommendation that I recommend for everybody who's tuning in is Gates of Fire. It's a fictitious representation of the Spartans' fight and battle in Thermopylae, and it's a good story about warrior cultures. One question I was asked recently was about this assessment course that I'm running in Louisiana, February 10th through the 12th. I'm actually close slipped about this because I don't want to spoil the surprise, but I will outline a little bit about the course. The assessment course that we're running the 10th through the 12th is a mentorship program to prepare young men and women who want to serve in the military, but also anybody who just wants to get exposed to what it takes to be and actual special operations and get through the assessment and selection process. It's similar to the DVD that we have out, which part one addresses, you know, rucking foot care mindset, but it's this introduction to some of the elements that will make you more successful if you do decide to go that route into assessment and selection. So am I saying that it's not going to be a suck fest? It will be a suck fest, but along the way, we're going to mentor you through the process and help you understand the actual ways to get through those specific events and do it the right way. It's gonna be fun. I'm gonna be there suffering with you guys, and I'm gonna have lots of war stories for you guys, lots of interactions. We're gonna do rucks, runs, and I'm gonna train you to be, if it's a better prepared civilian or a better prepared military candidate, the hope and intent is to train you and to show you a little bit about what it's like to be in special operations appreciate all you guys' feedback on iTunes. Feedback is the reason that we get to the top where we're at right now. I think we're sitting at number two in government organizations, and that's awesome for only being a podcast with three episodes. So I appreciate the support. Leave feedback in the feedback. Leave me episodes that you want to hear more of. Look, I'm not the subject matter expert. Every, every single subject matter. But if I am, I'm going to give you all the knowledge that I have to impart that on you guys so we could you know share the wealth of my experiences. If you guys want to check us out online, that assessment course, all of our training for 2017 and the in the first quarter is up there, it's www.fieldcraftsurvival.com. Also, you can check us out on Instagram at softsurvivor and at fieldcraftsurvival. I appreciate all the support. If you guys want to email me or reach out to me, feel free to do that at media at fieldcraftsurvival.com. That's media at fieldcraftsurvival.com. I appreciate it. Until next time, we'll see you part two in a couple days. Stay alert. Stay alive.